Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And I'm Michael Footer. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 164. The Game Awards needs to change. You know, I was going to throw in a mouth fart as the chief mouth fart analyst, because that's how I feel about the Game of Awards currently. Yeah. But... Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so this is our season finale as we wrap up uh, 2023. This is the fourth season that we're wrapping up. We're going yeah. into season five. I know. It's pretty wild. Uh, our cadence has not been as frequent as we wanted this year for oh so many reasons. Um, but we're hoping to fix that up next year. Yeah, we, we were actually planning on recording before Christmas. We were. We were before our house flooded. Yeah, and then randomly yesterday, kind of caught on fire. Yeah. That was fun. Thankfully, that was dealt with quickly. No one was harmed. Everything's okay for various degrees and interpretations of the word okay. But Simply we're not going to be... having blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm... I've been I'm, singing that a lot in a very melancholy capacity. I'm not going to be sad to say goodbye to 2023. I've had enough of this year. This year has been hot garbage. Uh, so this is our season finale. We have kind of an, a, a truncated normal flow and format to the show. And then we have some discussion stuff. Yep. Uh, we have started working on our trends piece, which will be published after the first of the year. Yep. Uh, after we're going away for a couple of days to try to... Well, we're going away for like five days. Is it that long? Mm-hmm. Okay. Four days? I don't know. I believe in us. Four days. I believe... We need someone will be here just in case the house decides to flood, burn down, shake itself to the core or whatever. Um, in case we accidentally opened up a hell mouth we didn't mean to, just to be li- clear. in Sunnydale, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it feels like sometimes. So, so before we say goodbye to 2023, let's wrap up the year and finish up strong? Question mark? Question mark. Uh, so we have the Circana report for November 2023. This is the last one that is reported in 2023. When next you hear from Circana, uh, it will be the year-end wrap-up in December. So we'll see how everything goes. But Year-end wrap-up, yeah. year-end wrap-up. Uh, the total video game sales uh, in the United States in November 2023 were down 7% from November 22 to $5.87 billion dollars. This has now dipped year-to-date sales to just 1% above 2022 at $49.28 billion. It's so almost com- like inflation is just, I don't know, murdering any kind of liquid spend in most households. And Circana was pretty conservative at the beginning of the year. They saying, were indeed. Anticipating a 3% growth. Yep. Uh, if we don't, depending on how December ends up, if we I don't... I think it's going to be great. Holidays, people might have purchased consoles. It could be up. We'll see. It could widen the gap back to 2%. But if we end the year at 1%, it won't surprise me. Nope, wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, Hardware took the biggest hit in November, dropping 24% year over year to $964 million, despite the recent launches of the refreshed PlayStation 5 consoles. Those clearly not moving the needle that much. Um, No one has any money. I know. We're all broke and laid off. (laughs) On the hardware side, year-to-date spend is now down 1% compared to 2022, just halfway through the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series life cycle. 
at $4.989 billion. Every platform had double-digit drops with the aging Nintendo Switch taking the biggest hit. We do anticipate a new Nintendo Switch in 2024. PlayStation 5 topped dollar in unit sales. Uh, Xbox was second. And the PlayStation Portal streaming handhold both sold out and placed fourth. A handhold? Handhold. Do you want to hold my hand? I do want to hold your hand. We're holding hands now. Yes. We'll be those people that they dig up years and years and years from now and they'll be holding hands in the grave. I don't know how that'll be super possible. It's okay. When they clear the rubble of this house. Oh, that's the only way. Great. Great. Love that. Um, We have four children. I'd prefer never to think about that again. That's that's good. Let's talk about software. Let's talk about software. So content spend was down 3% year over year to $4.6 billion. Year to date content spend is up just 1% at $42.24 billion. So listen, poor reviews did not stop Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 from debuting in the top spot and immediately becoming the second best seller for the year. People cannot get enough of Call of Duty. I I honestly think it's more than that. It's just the strength of the brand. Yeah. Where people are like, I'm going to buy it year over year. I'm going to just, I'm going to buy it every year. year, It's a bad year. It'll be a good year next year, maybe. Maybe. Who even knows? Uh, Spider-Man dipped from number one to number two. Hogwarts Legacy jumped back up to number three from 10 on the back of the Switch release. It is still the top seller for the year. I don't know if it's going to hold out there. We'll see. Eh. We'll see. I have no, I got no dog in this race. Yep. Super Mario Brothers Wonder dropped from number two to number five. Remember, Nintendo does not report digital sales to Circana, so this is only physical sales. EA Sports Football Club dropped from number five to number six. Super Mario RPG debuted at number seven. Again, this only includes physical sales. Mortal Kombat 1 dropped from six to eight. NBA 2K24 climbed from number 13 to number nine. Also physical only because take two. Interesting. UFC 5 dropped from seven to ten. And there are some other notables in here. Assassin's Creed Mirage dropped from number three all the way to number 11. Naruto x Baruto Ultimate Ninja Storm Connections debuted at number 12. What a mouthful. I know. Star Ocean, the second story, R debuted at number 17. And Just Dance 2024 jumped from number 73 to number 20. Yeah, those are some holiday purchases. Yep. On the mobile side, top 10 games by spending. So let's check it out. Monopoly Go, I downloaded it because I wanted to see what all the hubbub was about. Mm -hmm. That game is sticky. Interesting. That game is sticky and interesting and does all of the monetization things all at the same time. It's completely overwhelming, but at the same time, I just like pressing the button in the middle that says roll dice. Okay, well, there you go. So I haven't spent a dime on it. All right, that's good. And I'm still having a ton of fun. So it's kind of this great little mindless thing to do. And I can see why it's making money. All right. Like, honestly, I get it now. Uh, Royal Match is in second, followed by Roblox, Candy Crush Saga, Coin Master moved up one, Pokemon Go, Jackpot Party Casino Slots, Gardenscapes, Ebony, my liege. My liege. I'm waiting for you, my liege. Every time. It's never not going to be funny. And apparently it jumped up two, and then Township fell a slot. Mobile spend was, was like, it was up in November. It was actually up. And it was up in October, too. And yeah. that's like... 
Interesting recovery. It's an it, well. Th- I would not call this recovered by no. any stretch of the no, imagination. No, because everything got battered. Exactly. Last year and earlier this year. Absolutely. So mobile spend for this month was up year over year by two point six percent, and seven of the top ten games declined from October, mirroring a trend from last November. Interestingly, though, you got to put that money towards getting your yeah. getting your peppermint white chocolate mochas from mm-hmm. uh, from Starbucks. Uh, wrapping up this month's Circana report for November 2023 with accessories, spending increased 3% year over year to $303 million. Year-to-date accessory spend is up 1% to $2.054 billion. Uh, Gamepad saw 8% growth year over year. And the PlayStation 5 DualSense wireless controller Midnight Black led again while the white version is tops for the year. Sweet. I still personally, my PlayStation 5 controller is the best PlayStation 5 the controller. Final Fantasy 16 one? Yes. Yes. Actually, speaking of speaking of Final Fantasy 16, I'm sitting here and I have all of these incredible games that we're going to talk about at the end of this. Don't mind my typing. I forgot to put my favorite game of the year in there. Ah. All right. Now it's in there. Sitting at the top where it's supposed to be. So, Mike, Take us through what the heck is going on at GameStop. Yeah, as usual, this is for Q3 2023. As usual, this is a very thin earnings release with no Q&A again. I think they've gone two years now without a Q&A. Two years. Yep. Um, net revenue decreased 9.1% to $1.08 billion for the quarter. The company did improve its operating losses from $96.3 million last year to $14.7 million in this year's Q3. Again, that's a loss of $14.7 million. The improvement comes on the back of severe cost cutting at the company year over year that brought uh, selling general and administrative expenses down from $387.9 million last year to $296.5 million this year. As we've been saying, cost cutting can only get you so far. Exactly. You, you Eventually you're going to hit bone and you can keep sawing through that, but then you're just a business amputee. This is, I don't, that's gruesome. Yeah. Let's not. I don't like yeah. that. Maybe that's, we, that's now, so now good. Now the picture's in my head. No, I don't like that. And it's like, but it, but 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 because I personally because executives they'd actually just hold down a store employee who makes minimum wage. That's horrifying. Stop it. Nobody wants that in their heads. Everybody who walks simply happy. <laughs> Uh, Net loss was significantly improved. Uh, It was a loss of $3.1 million compared to $94.7 million in the red last third quarter. GameStop's net losses for the year have also improved from $361.3 million in losses last year to $56.4 million in losses so far this year. The $310 million or so improvement is almost entirely due to SG&A cost cutting and improving cost of goods sold. So revenue is actually down 6% for the full year so far. Eventually, as we've been saying, the cost-cutting train hits a brick wall. When was the last time you went to a GameStop? Before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. It's been and four it was, years and, and for me. And to be clear, even before It was the grudgingly. Pandemic, it was grudgingly. Yeah. And I remember walking in there, and they had, like, no Amiibos. Mm-mm. And they had... Like... like it, the store was a mess. EB Games is the same way back in Canada. Yeah. Like, I just refuse to go to them anymore. The oh, the one in Kamloops, so in my hometown, is pretty okay still. Like, it's in the same spot it always was. That that location's pretty okay. Yeah. But that's the basically only, it. The only time I'll buy something from GameStop, because I have this habit of if I see a game drop to $10, I'll buy it for the library. 
Our library is, in fact, very robust for a uh, reason. It's all in boxes right now. <laughs> but, um, flood! Yay! Yeah. So exciting. Let's uh, not talk about the flood. Yeah. But, I don't want to talk about it. But yeah, I'll pick up $10 games. So if a game is like $5, $10 at GameStop and I don't have it, like, yeah, I'll, I might still pick it up there, but I would always prefer Best Buy or Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all about GameStop. We're, obviously, we're still watching. They, the company, despite improving their losses, has not really improved. No, not at all. And I, I think this is a company that is... I, I mean, they've been circling the drain for years. Uh, when did... I started it at Game Daily in 2018, and they started really circling the drain that year. So it's been like five years that yeah. they've been doing this. Uh, and even before then, things weren't. Oh, great. things were kind of kind of bleak before that. And I know, remember, they were shopping around for quiet. private equity. Yeah. Oh, but but it wasn't even quiet. By no, the time they were we definitely got trying to, to gussy themselves up for a sale that never happened. It didn't. No work. one wants to buy that. No. It's it's just it's not cost effective. Well, and they've of course now there's a lot of toxicity at the top, and the executive leadership has been shuffled so many times. And Hard Ryan Cohen pass. is Ryan Cohen now has both hands firmly on the wheel, and I don't know that he's driving. We'll see. It, yeah, we'll see. It doesn't really matter because GameStop remains completely irre- irrelevant. All right, for the rest of our main stories, we are shifting our focus to Asia. We are indeed, and I'm going to be taking over these two particular stories. So let's talk about what in the hell is actually going on over in China's gaming sector. Yeah, this is not great. So if you you may recall, you may have seen it in the in the press that there was some hullabaloo happening in Beijing with regards to further restrictions placed on on games. So I've been covering uh, Chinese like gaming in China. Um, for like five years, especially when I was managing Game Daily. So I want to give you all a little context. If you don't know, uh, getting a game published and released in China is Demon Souls difficult. Huh. And it requires a publisher of record that is already established in China and can help navigate the complexities of the Chinese government's propaganda department. Although, although it has a much friendlier name now, it's now the National Press and Public Administration as opposed to the Propaganda Administration, which is huh. what it was before. I'm not even messing with you. You can go read my old stories on Game yeah. Daily. I reference it there. So there was a minute there when there were no games being approved. And it was outwards of 18 months just to get any movement at all. So this was in like 2018, 2019 for approvals, let alone release. Now, things eased in 2020. Restrictions were placed again in 2021 when China set strict playtime limits for minors, so people under 18, and suspended approvals of new video games for about eight months, claiming that it was trying to prevent gaming addiction. Mm. So China has been cracking down on gaming in a very pearl-clutching, won't someone please think of the children kind of way, but the latest restrictions, which caused an $80 billion route between the losses at Tencent and NetEase. And that was just those two companies. Just those two companies. That's $80 billion in value that disappeared overnight. Overnight, yep. And this was the last trading day before Christmas, just to be clear. And it just, I, it was not, it just, I, wow, it was a lot. So according to Josh Yee over at Routers, um, quote, online games will now be banned from giving players rewards if they log in every day, if they spend on the game for the first time, or if they spend several times on the game consecutively. So just some examples. Obviously, we're talking about daily login bonuses. Yep. We're talking about those entry packs that you can buy just once per account that are typically discounted. Yep. But here's the one. Genshin. 
for instance, if you buy multiple wish like packs of of things, I assume that's what they're talking about. So instead of buying one pluck from the gotcha pool and you buy ten, yeah, you know, I think that there's a better chance of getting stuff. So that's a that would might be a reward that's being considered for spending multiple times. Yeah, I would imagine so. But in addition to this, China also said that they were going to be placing an unspecified cap on spending by even adult players. Wild. So since then, um, the Chinese government has softened its stance by approving 105 new domestic games shortly after the decisions were made to increase restrictions. So here's the thing. Both Tencent have, and Netties have significant investments all over the global game industry, which means that if these Goliaths, which China will never deem as too big to fail, and they will be brought to heel by the government if necessary, if they topple, much of the rest of the game industry in AA and AAA will suffer It will be absolutely greatly. terrible. Tencent has its fingers in so many pies right now. Um, remember, they helped bail out Ubisoft. They own 100% of Riot. They own 40% of Epic. Like, it would be really, really, really bad. It would be, it would be Domino's, which is why you saw palpable panic. It was, and it was across the internet. Absolutely, and there was the panic. Yeah. There was panic among investors. There's panic outside of China now. There, there have been a number of interviews that Josh Yi has done at routers and everything like that. So he's spoken to folks at Tencent. Like, no one at NetEase is talking. Okay. But he's spoken to people at Tencent, and they're like, this should have no material impact on our business. You know, we're already compliant with the government. And I'm like, oh, I see we're doing some interesting corporate doublespeak yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but these are these are some pretty hefty implications for the global game industry. There are plenty of studios that have been spun up specifically in North America by both Tencent and NetEase, especially NetEase. NetEase has gone studio mm-hmm. studio wild, right? There is a bunch of studios that have that have either announced that they're opening or are open already. They have a hundred percent investment from NetEase. They are considered NetEase studios run by North American. Um, developers, like legendary mm-hmm. legendary creative directors, things like that. And we've talked about a bunch of them on this show. So I'm worried. Mm-hmm. And $80 billion overnight is like nothing that we can just sweep under the rug and just ignore. Yeah. And we- the relation, again, as you pointed out, the relationship between corporations and the government in China China is not going to... They're always going to look at what they think is best for the population. And if that hurts it's a, a company, exactly, even a huge company care. like Tencent... They don't care. Yeah, it's not going to stop them. It's not going to stop them at all because they're not interested. They consider them... Like, the Chinese government considers itself, like, a very parental figure mm-hmm. to the populace at large. And for good or ill, that's that's what it yeah. that's the implication there and it's considered culturally normal whereas it would be considered vast vast government overreach in North America mm-hmm. and in the west in general yeah so not great don't love it will be very interesting to see what happens as a result all right we're going to shift focus from china to south korea we are indeed so these are a couple of twitch stories just to be clear 
the first Twitch story is about Korea specifically. Twitch has made a decision to shut down its operations in South Korea, citing enormous network costs that have made it, quote, impossible to operate any further. This is wild to me. So according to a post that was um, that was localized in Korean, Twitch's operations in South Korea will end on February 27th, 2024, after which viewers in South Korea will no longer be able to purchase paid products on Twitch and creators will no longer be able to monetize Twitch. Hmm. The final payout will happen at the end of March. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Nothing else. Wild. Affiliates and partners are not allowed to set Korea as their country of residence during onboarding from basically December, I don't know, like whenever this came out. I think it was the 15th of December onward, Um, which means that streamers that are currently in Korea will need to monetize through another country. It's unclear if this removes the ability to stream on Twitch's platform in Korea entirely, but it does remove the ability to make money off of it. Yep. So I don't know what the deal is there. I would imagine that streaming will will continue, but that affiliates and partners, that's it. Yeah, makes sense. Um, they did say in their post and then later in their FAQ that, you know, they're encouraging simul streams for partners to start building their platforms on YouTube and elsewhere so that they're not left out in the cold, but that they can't afford to operate there any longer because apparently network costs are 10 times that of any other country. Wow. So. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so let's talk about nudies. Oh my goodness. Let's so, talk about the boobs. I'm always, I'm always down to talk about boobs. Um, in this particular case, though, Twitch had a classic Twitch blunder earlier this This is not this just month. an Asian story, by the way. This no. Is boobs, this is global. This is boobs around the world. Yeah, it's global boobs. Boobs, boobs, boobs. Global boobs. Um, so, had a classic Twitch blunder earlier this month when the company decided that tasteful and artful nudity was going to be allowed on the platform. It lasted, what, like two days? It was 36 hours. It was 36 so. hours. Yeah. yeah, it was like, it was less than two days. So, as it turns out, going out and being like, all right, yeah, you could have like a little bit of artistic nudity. And look, they're for drawing art. It makes a ton of sense, yeah. right? The human form. The human is form. Not, it is not something to be shamed. It's not pornographic. Nope. It's it's just a body. Yep. Additionally, uh, body painting. Mm-hmm. There's art streams that were centered around body painting and makeup that sometimes incorporated more of the body than just the face and the shoulders, which is reasonable. Body mm-hmm. painting is an art form mm-hmm. as much as makeup art is. Mm-hmm. Um, so for things that like, it was reasonable, like, yes, we would like to be able to invite more of these creators onto our platform and they should feel safe to do so. This is directly from their press release. However, there was a great deal of new content that was allowed under the new updated policy. Much of the content created has been met with community concern. These are concerns we share. Upon reflection, we have decided we went too far with this change. Depictions of nudity present a unique challenge. AI can be used to create realistic images, and it can be hard to distinguish between digital art and photography. While I wish we could have predicted this outcome, part of our job is to make adjustments that serve the community. I apologize for the confusion that this update has caused. Listen, y'all, you didn't check in with the right legal or community people along the way to make sure that you accounted for folks just looking to game the meta for clicks and views. 
classic Twitch. Yeah, I, I think I, I really latched on to this whole while. I wish we, we would have predicted this outcome. Everybody predicted it. Everybody on the outside looked at this and said, oh, this Everybody's is go trying bad, to find the guy who did bad. this. Everybody's so trying bad. to find the guy in the hot dog suit that did this. So nobody nobody who was watching this was surprised no at one was how surprised. bad it went. No, no one was surprised at all. I wasn't surprised at all. Yep. Like, I, I understand the need for something like this. But flag it at a creator level. Genuinely. Flag at a creator level. If you've got Twitch partners out there that are regularly drawing the human form or they are doing body paint or whatever, if they're partnered, make it make it part of their their contract that mm-hmm. this kind of content is allowed. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's just, it, it is it's classic. classic. It Twitch is classic blunder. Twitch where, where they rush. The most generous read on this was they were getting pressure and they said, all right, we'll change the policy and see what happens. And we're standing by to be like, oh, we wish we could have predicted this when secretly they're saying, yeah, this is totally what we expected was going to happen. But now we know. And now you know. Ah, uh, I see what you it, mean. It could have been a, it could have been a dark tactical move. That's my most generous read on the situation. Yep. Well, that's fair. But remember... Why read malice when all when it's so much easier to just read incompetence? Yeah, absolutely. All right, we have one thing for investment interlude. One whole thing, one really? Whole thing. That's yep. that's it. All right, take us take us through. Yep. All right, keywords has acquired the multiplayer group from Improbable. Uh, TMG provides co-development and full internal development services, employing more than 360 people in Nottingham, UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, TMG's leadership team, which includes Andy Norman, Rocco Lascalzo. Vaughn O'Brien and Roger Chung will continue to lead the business. You might recall that Improbable made the news for allegedly pioneering some impressive white label multiplayer game tech that does not seem to have materialized. Awkward. Uh, they also were once the owner of Nightingale Developer Inflection Games, which which they sold to Tencent in 2022. And now Improbable is fully a metaverse company. So uh, good luck. Good luck with all that. Yep. Now, before we take a break... It's time for Quick Hits. Got it in two. Got it in two. All right. So the Persona 5 series, which apparently is a whole series now. It's a whole series. It's a whole whole thing. thing. Whole thing. So that includes Persona 5. Persona 5 Royal. Persona 5. No, Persona 5 Regular Flavor. Regular Flavor. And then Persona 5 Royal Flavor. Yep. Then Persona 5 Strikers. Then Persona 5 Tactica. All right. All of that put together has now reached... 10 million units sold worldwide. And you know what? Those are big numbers for Persona. Absolutely. Huge numbers. And at the beginning of the year, we have Persona 3 Remake coming out. Big numbers. Yep. Uh, Sea of Stars has hit 4 million players. I gotta play that. Uh, PlayStation 5 is now in the hands of 50 million players worldwide. And those were quick hits. Exceptionally quick today. Exceptionally quick. And before we move into our labor report, we're going to take a quick break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back with, well... Another interesting labor report. Yeah, interesting, man. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't even know, man. I, I wish we had been done with the bad news after the last show. 
Yeah, there was a lot of bad news on the last show. Turns out we got a few more hits. Yeah. So let's lead off with what happened um, at First Contact. Firewall developer First Contact has unfortunately shut down. The news came just a few days before Christmas on December 22nd, with the company saying that there is, quote, a lack of support for VR within the industry. Mike and I have been echoing those concerns mm-hmm. now for a number of years. I know you use VR was your beat it back when beat you were Informer, yeah. when you were at Game Informer. That was your beat. And we have been seeing a slow death march for VR. It's because we had an in, we had an influx with the quest mm-hmm. and it tapered off again. Well, it was the problem novel. is that, that Meta's it. Meta, Meta controls 85% of the VR market. So any other player, Pico, which we now believe is going the way of the Dodo because ByteDance is getting out of gaming. Um, there's HTC, which is not a huge player. And then there's Sony, which, I, I don't know, half the time isn't sure that they actually want to be in VR. I feel like they just kind of roll the dice with VR and they're like, it's fine. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. Yep. I guess this time maybe. So anyway, VR is... A mess. And honestly, unless you're alchemy. Yeah. VR funding is not in a great place either, which, you know, is I'm sure contributed to to a big chunk of this. I would imagine so. Unless you were one of the early players like like alchemy and shell and, you mm -hmm. know, like the early players in VR, you're going to have a heck of a time finding a foothold. Yeah. And we will be talking about meta in the trends piece because I wrote that that stuff up yesterday. We're not going to be talking about VR specifically because it is such a blip in the gaming industry right now. But Meta, remember, laid off more than 10,000 people this year. Yep. Horrid. And a lot of those, I mean, a lot of the people who are working in Reality Labs, which, and Oculus Studios and publishing, a lot of them were affected. Yeah, they definitely were. Uh, So back to talking about First Contact. So First Contact was based in Los Angeles and founded in 2016 by a team of Starbreeze alumni. Um... Searching online for employee count, kickback estimates between 30 and 50 people. Yeah, so I didn't, wasn't, wasn't able to find an exact number of people, but the range was between 30 and 50 on all the sites that we're reporting about. So. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. Uh, this one, we're only going to be able to share the facts. We want to make sure that you're aware of what happened, but unfortunately we can't and won't provide any additional commentary. I am going to shut up here. Yep. So just straight, straight up facts. On December 21st, uh, you may recall that Tiny, or maybe if you were watching the news, uh, Tiny Build received an investment of $2 million from Atari. This is following the news we covered on the last episode where they were looking for uh, some rapid investment, uh, I think in the amount of $10 million. Tiny Build uh, is trying to raise that capital after settling a lawsuit with Versus Evil uh, founder Steve Escalante and others in the amount of $3.5 million, which depleted a significant amount of Tiny Build's cash reserves. On December 22nd, Tiny Build made the decision to shutter versus Evil, laying off the team's 13 employees. Later that day, we also found out that this has led to the closure of Jukai Studio, which was being published by versus Evil. Uh, the disposition of other in-development versus Evil published titles is not yet known. And that wraps up our conversation on that. Literally just the facts. Yep. That's all we can do. All righty. Um, Activision and the state of California have settled the looming gender discrimination suit. Hmm. Um, $47 million will go to women who worked at Activision Blizzard between October 12th, 2015 and December 31st, 2020. $47 million. 
dollars. That's it. That's it. So the riot settlement was a hundred million. That's it. And this is forty-seven plus the eighteen from the EEOC. Now the forty-seven million here—that is the amount that's going to uh, people who women who worked there. It's the court costs and all that stuff is on top of that. So the, all of this forty-seven million is going into the fund. Um, contractors who worked at least 90 days during that window can also claim some of the funds, which is good. As part of the deal, California will drop the sexual harassment elements of its claim against the publisher. Additionally, the complaint against Activision Blizzard will only include gender discrimination allegations as the sexual misconduct piece was part of the EEOC's paltry $18 million settlement with Activision. But there is a bit more uh, good news in this huh. regard. Yeah. As of December 29th, so that's in two days... Bobby Kotick will be out at Activision. We are trying very, very, very hard not to think about that beautiful golden parachute that he's receiving in order to get out of Activision. And I wish him a very go back to Jeffrey Epstein's island. Oh, wow. I think he owns it now. You know what? I have nothing but bad things to say about this guy. Not, yeah. I have not no a good, good feelings. No, no good warmth, feelings. Nothing. See ya. Yep. I hope the door hits you on the ass on the way out. Uh, also out at the company, Chief Communications Officer Lulu Maservi is leaving at the end of January. You may recall her Bye. being the acerbic, acidic, toxic, loudmouth. And, and I'm saying this because if anybody, anybody had pulled the shit that she pulled on Twitter during the, uh, the CMA stuff. I mean, it, it was ugly. It was disgusting. It felt bad. And, and it this was, is not gendered. This is not. And I'm being very clear here. Anybody. If Michael Barra had been the one doing it. Oh, speaking of which, he's staying on. Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but also leaving, Vice Chairman of Blizzard and King, Humam Sakmini, uh, is leaving at the end of this month, at the end of December. Okay. And in March, the company will be saying goodbye to Mike Pompeo's Bulldog, Chief Administration uh, Administrative Officer Brian Bolateo, CFO Armin Zerza, and Chief Legal Officer Grant Dixon. Uh, Thomas Tipple, who's the Vice Chairman of Activision Blizzard, is also out at the end of March. So those remaining will be reporting into Xbox's leadership structure. Uh, that includes Blizzard president Mike Ibarra, Activision publishing president, uh, president Rob Kostich, and King president uh, Toldoff Somestad. Uh, they're reporting into Matt Booty, who was recently promoted to president of game content and studios at Xbox. So we are getting a chunk of that leadership shakeup. I don't think we've seen the end of it. I hope not. And I hope that it stays in leadership and does not trickle down to the rest of talent. Yeah. Quite frankly, I am. I was so hopeful when we were originally talking about this deal because I wanted it to be good for labor. And considering the missteps that Microsoft has made this year over and over and over again with regards to labor, regardless of the labor neutrality, don't love it. Yeah. Don't love it. All right. So that wraps up kind of our usual flow. We actually have some things that we wanted to talk about. We promised last episode that we were going to talk about PAX Unplugged a little bit. We're going to talk about the TGAs a little bit, but we're going to kick off with uh, talking about what happened in Insomniac. Yeah. So Insomniac was not the only company over the last several years that has been held hostage, had yeah. their data held hostage by hackers. Mm -hmm. This so, happened to Capcom? This happened to Capcom as well. I don't think, well. was Take-Two a ransom situation or was it just someone that hacked them and got the GTA 6 stuff? I think it was just a hack. It wasn't ransomware. Um, the, the person responsible for that has been held accountable, obviously. And but they're an unrepentant was... person. Like they've said out loud that they are, if they are released, they're going to go right back and do this again. So they're being held indefinitely until they 
can be um, rehabilitated. Rehabilitated, yeah. We are all about restorative justice in this house. Yeah. So my my hope is is that this young person will get the help that they deserve in order for them to come back into society and to feel whole and healthy mm-hmm. as a human being. So what happened at Insomniac wasn't just targeting data about the games. This targeted personal data from the developers. Yeah. So when the hack happened, and I really, I really, I'm going to keep drilling at home. This was not a leak. It was a hack. This, this is not somebody working on a laptop in an airport. This is not somebody who spoke out of turn and said something they shouldn't have. This is this is a criminal act. This was a criminal act that has put people's lives and their livelihoods, their financial futures in danger. Yep. So Absolutely. that is what happened. But we want to have a bigger conversation about ethics. Yes. Look, it is important that we try not to do harm. And I know that there are people out there who would say, well, I don't have to protect a company. It's not the company. It ain't the company, It folks. isn't the executive. We don't care about the company. It's we the care fact, about the people. It's the fact that people were harmed. And the response to that has been, well, we didn't share any of their personal information. No, you didn't. But this was a ransomware attack. And the goal of a ransomware attack, ransomware attack is to scare companies into paying by telling them that you're going to release their data. And then they're following through if they don't pay. And that's what happened here. The only way that that kind of threat works is if people are hungry for that information that is obtained as part of the criminal act. So if certain uh, enthusiast outlets decide that they are going to share the fruits of that criminal act, they have empowered and emboldened people to do this more because they know that not only will the act itself get coverage, which is fair game, by the way, covering that a criminal act happened and explaining what happened and what types of information were stolen is one thing. That's reasonable. It is a reasonable thing to outline, here's what happened, here's the impact on the company, here's the impact on the people, here's the impact on the community at large. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to share what, to actually share the contents of what was hacked and stolen. Yes. And, And you can make an argument, as I've seen some people do, that it's in the public interest. And I would say this is not politics. This, this is, is not, not politics. This is entertainment. This is entertainment. And I think when we define the public interest and the public good, we are talking about things that can change the way people make important decisions about who they vote for, about how they live their lives, Absolutely. about understanding the, machina- the machinations of our government and the way it impacts people's this lives. This is not... That is the public good. That is for public good. A... A deep dive into content that was stolen from a company... That makes video games. That makes video games. That isn't working with the government, that doesn't have defense contracts, that isn't, like, doing weird, shady stuff. They're just making video games. This isn't just about the company. It's about the people. Video games, and we say this over and over again, and I know we don't have to tell all of you because the reason why you're here is because you love games too, and you love this industry too. This isn't just about video games. This is about the people that make video games. If not for the people, there would be no video games. Now, if the results of the criminal hack resulted in information that someone had been embezzling. Sure, and that's was, criminal. Like, and it was covered up. 
a criminal act. We get start getting into this gray area of whistleblowing. Of whistleblowing, right? That is, that is not what this is. This no. is not. This was not for releasing releasing in development footage of a game, releasing plans for future game announcements. I do not see that as the public good in the way that I believe it was intended to imply when we talk about journalism. Um, are there things that we can learn? Oh, from, absolutely, absolutely. But are there other ways to learn those things? Absolutely. So let me tell you, one of the things that when Mike and I were were working on the media side, the things that we did is we were constantly learning. We were constantly asking questions. We were constantly, quite frankly, speaking off the record. And we were gathering information on background or off the record so that we could further our understanding about how the game industry works in general. It wasn't about making stories. It wasn't about creating anything other than additional context for what we thought we knew. And quite frankly, we didn't know nearly as much as we thought we did until we started working on the other side. Yep. And, and we, we moving into analysis, we did. We did absolutely know a lot because we worked on like on a very B2B side of the equation, right? We were speaking two developers, we were speaking to business owners that were making games and, and everything like that. But the best way to learn about this industry is be inquisitive. Yep. You ask questions, you set up interviews, even if they're just informational interviews, to better understand, use your access to provide context for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with curiosity. That's what makes journalism such an incredibly important piece of our cultural tapestry. Journalism is so important now more than ever, Mm -hmm. but don't mistake profiting off of crime as doing good journalism. Yeah. And and here's the thing you learn when people can't talk about specific instances, you learn how to ask questions in that are more abstract to get at the information. That's right. Yeah. And you might not get an answer from every person and you want to okay ask, too. but you will find people, you build those relationships. And I think what bothers me is that some of the sites that covered this could have, did have, do have other paths to learn some of these things and do it in a way that doesn't, that doesn't do harm or further embolden criminals. Now I do want to take a moment to um, identify kind of funny mm-hmm. game spot. Yep. Game Informer. Oh, yeah. VGC. Yep. As just four of the outlets who I saw took a stand and said, we'll cover what happened. But no, we're not going to share details that were exposed due to this criminal act. There are other outlets that made other decisions. And we will leave it to you, our listeners, to make your own determinations about how you feel about that. But we are not here wagging our finger, just nope, to be clear. We just this is do not want to acknowledge those that are kind of in alignment with us, that handled this in a way that we really appreciate. Because not going to scold anybody. No, no, no. That's it, it's not our place, quite frankly. Yeah. We're not we're not journalists anymore. Yeah. I mean, we are in our hearts. We will always be journalists, yeah. which is why, you know, when people are like, "Oh, hey, there might be a problem over there," and we're like, "What is it? Does it need investigation? Do we need to go poke at it? How mm-hmm. how far do we need to unravel this bad boy?" You know, that's the kind of thing that we do. But we're not here to scold. We're not here to shame. Everyone made their own decisions. But we wanted to talk about it from our experiences and how we have, how we would like to handle it on our show and, you know, highlighting our our happiness yep. at at the the change in tone about this. It's, it's important that we recognize the human cost. Yep. And there are people saying, well, you know what? 
you didn't handle, and not to us, but I saw people saying, well, people handled the Capcom story differently. And is that because of, of where the studio was no. over, where the company was located? No, I, I, I can't speak to that. What I, what I will but speak I to also... is this. At some point, people need to wake up. I think this is, if this serves as an, a moment of awakening for people, then let's not wag our finger at what Normalized happened in the past. changing your mind. Exactly. Normalize changing your mind with more information. Exactly. Right? Because with regards to Capcom, that was also personal data that was stolen. Yeah. But when we covered it, it was very much about the, this is what happened, this is the impact, this is how Capcom is responding. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. There wasn't anything else to even say. And even if there was, I mean, we wouldn't have said it. There was. I mean, there was there was similar types of details that were emerging but we about weren't inter- and things like we that. We weren't interested. No. No. And we remain uninterested. Because this is, it, it has nothing to do with the impact on the people. Yeah. So just to, just to wrap up here, our, our logic here is this. There were individual developers who were deeply harmed by this. Yes. Covering the fruits, covering, share, further sharing the fruits of a criminal act, especially when we're ransomware, where, where it is driven by fear. Oh, yeah. Uh, emboldens criminals, whether it's these criminals or other ones who decide that they want to try their hand at this. So by engaging in this kind of resharing, you are further enabling and empowering future criminal acts that will harm more individuals who have nothing, no, no involvement other than working at a studio. Whether that's in a director role, a lead role, or a junior role, no matter what department you're working in, whether that is art or sound or QA or administrative production, production. I mean, it could be anything, but from our perspective, the decision to reshare information obtained through a criminal act is actually harmful to, to people. And you are doing harm to those people and people and to others who could suffer and likely will suffer this in the future. Yes. So that's, that's that whole situation. So we're yep. going to go ahead and move on to talking about PAX Unplugged. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about PAX Unplugged. Um, we haven't been since 2019. That yeah. was the last time that we went. Yep. So I think we missed two. Yeah. So we had missed the last two. Our partner, our partner James, had gone for the last couple um, because, you know, that's a good get-together for him. Mm-hmm. It's a good get-together for his uh, for his friends. Yeah, he plays he plays board games online twice a week with friends. His coworkers play. Like, it's it's good. Well, this is also something he started way back when we lived in Canada yep. at his old job. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's incredible. And he's honestly one of the most amazing video game, like, or board game instructors. Yep. He teaches people how to play board yep. games and in a way really that's good. very accessible. Again, it's something that he started at his old job. And, like, so, look, this was this is very much his event. And it was nice to... It was nice to get the family back together. It was just the three of us that went. Mm-hmm. We didn't bring Danielle this time. But it was it was nice. Like I I know you had some very different thoughts on it, but yeah. I actually had a great time. I I knew it was going to grow. Like we went to the very first PAX unplugged and even then I think we said, "Man, this is great now. I'm worried about what it's going to be like when when it's going to grow." I our the second day, so Saturday morning, the line to get in was a mess. It was it was dangerous. It was definitely There were people dangerous. who were like getting bumped into the street. Like not look, PAX goers are good cures. They oh, yeah. know how to stand in line. 
But when a line is winding three times on a single sidewalk and there are cars driving on that road, it was not good. And it was not well handled. No, it was not safe. Um, to their credit, it was different on Sunday uh-huh. than it was yep. on Saturday. So it was it was much, much better. But man, inside packs unplugged in I, I think they've outgrown that convention center. I think they have. I don't I think there's probably more space they can use in there. But I think right now, like, we couldn't find a place to sit and play in the free-to-play area. No. Um, or in the free-to-play area. And that's never been a problem before in our times attending. No, it um, wasn't even a problem when we went to PAX West. No. Um, we noticed that there were a couple of key companies who were missing or had reduced presence since Renegade wasn't there at, at all. all. That was, like, surprising because... They, they have a ton. Their pipeline is, is full. Is ginormous. Yeah, between... They do World of Darkness now. There wasn't even an official World of Darkness booth. In fact, the World of Darkness booth at PAX West was enormous. Right? It was so cool. And there was nothing it was official so cool. at, uh, at, um, at Unplugged. Uh, Fantasy Flight only had and and granted it's like kind of the biggest thing coming uh they had a huge area for demoing star wars unlimited which is their upcoming collectible card game it's Mm -hmm. not a living card game it's a collectible card game so you're talking starter decks and blind packs and and all that some boosters and all that as opposed to uh, metered out packs that have every card in that set in enough quantities to deck build it um we played a lot of interesting games um what was your favorite game at PAX Unplugged? I think my favorite game was Moors, actually. Moorlands? Moorlands, yeah. That was in the uh, first look area. Yeah, it was. So one of the things that they do at European tabletop conventions is they often have prototypes mm-hmm. and first looks at what's going to be coming in the pipeline or folks that are looking for additional publisher investment. And we got to see that at PAX Unplugged this year, and it was super cool. And these were not prototypes. These were... I mean, not in the way you think of a prototype from a video game no. perspective. These were well-polished these... packages. Now, that doesn't mean they're final. But these were... It was like cracking open a game, you know, that you just... Like a first with. edition, yeah. essentially. And it was really cool. Like, I had a, had a ton of fun playing it. I I liked it better than I liked Trailblazer. But I liked Trailblazer, too. It's mm-hmm. just I had, a, I had a tough time with it. So the conceit of Moorlands is, you know, you're essentially building your own little moor mm-hmm. with, like, a diverse ecosystem. And the more diverse your ecosystem, the better you score at the end of the game. And the longest route of water that you have in your game, the better it is for you. And, like, it just, it felt good to play once we understood it. Yep, absolutely. And I think that was probably one of the highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, I really liked finally getting my hands on... Uh, what the hell was the name? It's one of the um, restoration games. The Vendetta Road. Thing, oh, Which is like the Mad right. Max yeah. style car game. I thought it, that was That, that was one was pretty cool. And we both really enjoyed the... Obviously, the the Star Wars Yeah, um, Star Wars. I'm TCG. very excited for... And the funny thing is, you and I had not had a chance to play Lorcana, and we bought some Lorcana product. We bought... And I ended up selling off the booster box that we got. I'm hopeful... So we didn't enjoy it, but I'm hopeful that because the game is still so early yeah. and it's it's nascent, right? Yep. TCGs take time. And I remember how challenging it was to have a good game of Magic the Gathering in the 90s. You know, I've been playing Magic the Gathering since I was 10 years old. And for context, that's 27 years for me. Oh, boy. 
but I have been playing it for a very, very long time. And I remember when it wasn't as good as it is now. And now it has its own, it has different kinds of challenges that aren't mechanical. It's more in terms of their saturation with their special collections. That's mm -hmm. what we tend to have an issue with. But I'm hopeful that because Lorcana does seem to have a decent backing from the House of Mouse, hopefully we'll be able to see some changes, not just to the structure of how gameplay works, but maybe in terms of its overarching narrative. Mm -hmm. And I know that they're currently looking for someone to come in as a senior narrative designer to help them figure out what that looks like. Yep. So I'm, like I said, I'm very hopeful, you know, trading card games are very, very difficult to get off the ground in general, because it is difficult to balance all of the different pieces that goes into building out the various metas that go into TCGs. So I'm going to keep an eye on it. Yep. And we I have, think we have all the the starter decks from the first two sets. So and I, I think a, that we'll continue. To... I think we'll continue to get the starters mm -hmm. along the way. You know, they release new starters. We'll probably pick them up just to see how things have changed. Yep. The artwork is beautiful. The great, yeah. You know, I have nothing. I have no complaints there. But the in terms of the actual mechanics, it's a little boring. It's a little samey. It it's not. It's for it's it's not even to say that this is like baby's first TCG. Mm -hmm. It's just it's not there yet. Nope. It'll get there, I think, with with enough time and attention on the design side, like in the mechanics. But it's not there yet. And by contrast, Star Wars Unlimited feels very mechanically oh, it was robust. so good. It and was we, so we were playing good. we were playing with the preset Luke and Vader decks. It was great. Oh, it was a tough match. It though, was hey, it Mike. was very close, which also really enhanced our enjoyment of it because. Oh, I thought he had me. Yeah. I thought he had me, and then I got him. I, I had him in the back half there. Yep, I got him. Um, we picked up Tesseract. We didn't get a chance to play it there, but we Mike picked it up and we brought it home. And we brought it home. That was yep. good. It's a uh, a cube. Oh, man, how do you explain this game? It is a. Uh, it's a cube of dice. It's a cube of dice, and uh, the way it works is you're trying to defeat or destroy the Tesseract before it destroys the entire universe. That's correct. Um, and you do that by pulling cubes off. And creating sets that unlock new powers that allow you to um, get more cubes. You know, uh, you have to fill in a certain number of things, a certain number of patterns in order to uh, win the game and, and destroy the cube. Yeah. Uh, destroy the Tesseract. Uh, we The Tesseract killed us. It was oh, it did. We, we were definitely heck and murdered. Yep. Uh, it was good. And then we played, we brought our copy of RoboQuest, which we kickstarted. And that was that cute. Was, that was RoboQuest cute. Arena. Yeah, RoboQuest Which is Arena. a uh, Wise Wizard Games Yeah, product. it's um, it's it's cute. It's cute. I'd like to spend a little more time with it, I think, to better understand it. All of the different, you know, robots and engineers are, are super cute and super fun. It's got mm -hmm. such a great vibe to it, aesthetically speaking. Mechanically, it's simple. Yep. Right? I love me an elegant an elegant gameplay loop, even in tabletop. So Yep. But in terms of Pax Unplugged, like I didn't have as good a time as I usually do. I had um, a great time personally. I love walking around and meeting people and talking about board games. We met some cool people that played Morelands with yep. us. Mm -hmm. And that was super neat. But I, I had a great time. I'm looking forward to going back yeah. next year. And we'll talk a little bit. We're actually going to talk about video games and board games a little bit more uh, as we walk through this. Uh, but we have one more big topic to uh, to discuss before we get to our things that we loved that this year and then mm -hmm. some listener questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we attended the, the Game Awards, as some of you know. We did indeed. Um, we got all dressed up. and We looked, looked, we looked great. We looked beautiful. Yeah, I think we, we were looked gorgeous. pretty great. Um, really disappointed by the Game Awards itself as an event. And um, 
I feel like there is less and less time being spent on the nominees and the award winners. Um, I feel like there is this uh, intense need to court Hollywood approval, uh, which I don't understand. Yeah, I continue to not get it. Um, and look, you know, tradition in the award shows that I have watched, and you probably watched more than I have, but isn't it typically that the person who won like the big award the year before presents? Yeah. And now I understand why. So last year Elden Ring won. And I can understand why no one from Japan flew over to present this year's that's award. A long, that's a long it, it is. It's a long drive. But they could have know? gotten they could have gone one year back and had somebody else present. But instead it was Timothy Chalamet. I'm having a hard and, time with that and one. And the dude the dude has a history as a YouTuber and everything, which is fine. But it felt off. And more time was afforded to all the celebrities. Uh Anthony Mackie took He was 10 adorable. Minutes. He was adorable, but took ten minutes. Um, there was the whole thing with Kojima and Jordan Peele, uh, you know, announcing OD. Um, but I think kind of the big thing that stands out to me is that, uh, there was literally no mention of the 10,000 plus jobs that this industry has lost and how that has profoundly affected the people who make, in fact, some of the games that were nominated and won at the Game Awards. Not just some, likely all. Yeah. If I had to guess, likely all. All of those studios have had have had those same problems. So, so there was none of that. Nope. Um, the future class, I think, is going to be a very hot button conversation moving forward. You know what? I am so proud of the future classes, genuinely, from all the years and how they banded together and they sent that open letter and they said, "This is not okay." We have to say something about the layoffs. We have to say something about, about Palestine. About Palestine. We have to say something. Yep. And they just fell on deaf ears. Yeah. Um, what was it? How much time was it? It was like half an hour of the three of the four hours or so was was awardees. Yep. I think it was about, I think it was eight. Was 18%, it, right? It was 18%. So I think it was like 32 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um. And it was three and a half hours, including yeah. the pre-show. So, needless to say, we will not be attending the Game Awards again. Yeah. I felt as, because I am now a game developer, because I make games, I felt so disrespected. And in our area that we were sitting in was where, you know, the game developers were, essentially. Like, it was a bunch of the professional folks that had access to the industry tickets a little bit earlier than the public tickets. There was a lot of grumbling. Oh, yeah. People were unhappy. Understandably yeah. so. They were unhappy. And... I mean, the musical numbers were good. Oh, like, it was it was The Alan Wake 2 number was awesome. You know what? I love that for Sam, too. Me, too. You know, he looked... Out of everybody that came up on that stage, no one had more fun than Sam. But, you know, after Chris Judge last year, and I do think Chris Judge's Call of Duty joke was in bad taste. Um... I, I think it was playing to an audience of, and I like Chris Judge, so I want to be really careful here. Um, I think it was playing to the darker elements of the consumers, the darker elements within the consumer population. Yeah. And it was not tuned to a developer audience. Let's put it that way. Um, 
But cutting people off, because of Chris Judge's speech last year that went very long, they started playing people off after 30 seconds. And when you get to the end of the show and the Baldur's Gate 3 team is trying, in the middle of trying to acknowledge someone who passed away during development, and then the music, they, they get started getting the wrap it up message and the music. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, I don't even understand. I... I felt like what he was, what, what Keeley was so concerned about is building credibility for his show over honoring the industry at large, celebrating the industry at large. And look, everybody that comes out for the Game Awards treats the Game Awards as kind of like a secondary function. It's more like a giant Christmas party. It's a holiday party Mm -hmm. for everybody that comes out to the Game Wars, that flies out to see everyone. We're not dealing with the rigors of of E3, which is now dead, or Summer Game Fest Mm -hmm. or whatever the heck. You know, everybody was out there and and it it was a celebration after. It was a celebration before, but it was melancholy and it... No one wanted... Everybody was pissed off. Yeah, but p- kudos to the game workers who were outside the Game Awards handing out brochures. Heck yes. That was incredible. We were and so we glad were to see so that. We were so glad to see it. And honestly, we're super sad that we didn't get pins. Yes. Because I would have put that, that pin on my lapel after I got inside and yep. I would have happily kept it on all night. Absolutely. 100%. So, you know, we, we, stand, we stand with the workers always. We stand with labor always. But the TGAs needs to do better. Yep. And there was uh, also notice, and I don't think there's ever been, but no in memoriam. No, yeah. that's more. That's more of like a, a GDC, a GDC thing. thing. Yeah, because yeah, that's for the industry. Yeah, um, to but, honor our own. Yep. Um, also, there was no like lifetime achievement award this year. Was there one last year? Didn't when did Roberta win? When did the? I don't know. When I, did the Williams win? I, I don't I, know if there was one last year. Honestly, I, I genuinely don't know. But here's the deal. If you want better from the Game Awards, elevate DICE. Elevate the DICE Awards. Honestly, Greg and Stella do a great job hosting it every year. They are such a wonderful duo. They -hmm. were so much fun to watch last year when we were in the audience. Elevate the GDC Awards. Elevate the Indie Game Awards. These are all things that we can do as an industry to just keep that going. Put more money into it. Put more sponsorships into it. Get more eyeballs on it. Make people care. Because this industry is not run by... It doesn't It doesn't go without developers. It doesn't work yep. without talent. Yep. So let's highlight the talent. Let's celebrate. Let's honor the people that are struggling, that have been laid off, that, that deserve that recognition. And we're not going to get it from Jeff Keighley. So let's do it on our let's let's do it on our own. Yep, and let's focus on the places where that are handling it. Dice, GDC, Indie Game Awards. Yep. You know, there's there are other awards out there that are also fantastic, but they are not specifically about the game industry. Mm -hmm. So yep. Let's keep that going. We want more industry awards. If you're going to spin up some industry awards, let's go. Let's do it. All right. Let's talk about some of the things we love this year, and then we're going to take some take some questions that we've got here. Absolutely. And uh, and then we're going to send you off into the rest of your year. Sounds good. Uh, all right. Talking about the games we loved. Um, I'm going to start. Destiny 2 is my most played game of the year. By far. 180 hours this year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, from June. 
Yeah, I mean, like, listen, I'm back on that bullshit myself, too. Um, she says, looking over at her little statue of Eris Morn. That's my girl. Yep. Are you looking for the cup that you got me? Yeah, where'd you put it? It's in my, it's on my vanity. Oh, okay. So I've always got her near. Oh. Uh, I started playing Spider-Man 2. In fact, that was going to be my game for the break, but our entire basement, literally there's nothing in there right now except some furniture in the middle of the room that's tarped over. Uh, our entertainment center, all that hard work that I'm now going to cry. Uh, so I have not played We're going to build it 2. back better. Yeah. We're going to build it back better. It's, yep. it's, it's okay. You did a great job. It was a wonderful space. It worked. It was beautiful. And we're going to, we're going to make different choices with our flooring and everything's going to be okay, honey. Yeah. All right. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, we're playing multiplayer. It's Manda and, uh, James and Manda's dad and me. Yeah. I'm playing a druid who's a bear, a druid bear. Uh, I started playing Dragon's Dogma, uh, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, Armored Core 6, big shout out there. Love big stompy mechs and that fly and shoot things. And, and you don't have to turn your controller around to play I do it. not have to play in that crazy way anymore. Uh, and then Alan Wake Remastered, which you and I finished. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting into American Nightmare, and then we're finally going to get into Alan Wake 2. I'm very excited. I am genuinely very excited. See, back in the day, I did not keep my video games. I had to trade them in constantly because I was constantly broke. Um, this was in the early days of building my second business. So, you know, you did what you had to do. So I actually just didn't play DLC in the late aughts, probably through the mid-teens, I want to say. I just didn't play DLC if it was console-based. I only played it on PC. Mm. So, so yeah, I've been, I've been very much enjoying that. All right, what do you got? So for me, at the very tippy top of my list, which I'd almost forgotten to put in here, and that would have been genuinely terrible, um, was Final Fantasy sixteen. I know you love that game. I, I just, I'm, I'm so excited to sit down after everybody's back in school and, and everybody's like off doing their own things. I'm going to just like, I'm going to claim the couch in the living room and I'm just going to play more Final Fantasy sixteen. Yeah. Because I have more content to play. We hooked up our, our PS5, uh, in, in our the, living room. In the living room. It's like not, yeah. it's the least comfortable place to play a video game. But. It's okay. Like yeah. it's, it's fine. It, it serves its purpose. It's, it's fine. Mm -hmm. So Final Fantasy 16 stole my heart. I went, I even went so far as to say to, um, to one of my friends that it has beaten out Final Fantasy 10. I know how much As my 10. favorite Final Fantasy game. Notice that I'm saying favorite. I know Final Fantasy 10 is not the best but it is my favorite. And I guess it's not anymore. I guess Final Fantasy 16 has stolen that. It, right. it took 20 years to unseat Final Fantasy 10. So whatever y'all are doing over there at Square Enix, please keep it up. I very much enjoyed it. I would like more of this kind of game in the future. Awesome. Um, Cuisineer is something I've spent a lot of time playing this year. Mm -hmm. It's got, it's an action RPG, crafting, RPG, cooking nonsense. And honestly, it just hit hits and it hit right. It's a great little game. I think it's like 25, 25 bucks on Steam right now. And it it's fabulous. Play it on your Steam Deck if you have one. Um, Baldur's Gate is in there for me as well. I've been very much enjoying uh, my dad shooting Mike in the butt when he's in my a bear. giant bear ass. And his giant... B-E-A-R. Yeah. And B-A-R-E. Winky face. Oh, my gosh. My bear doesn't wear pants. I'm just saying. That's true. It does not wear pants. Um, just like Winnie the Pooh. So... Oh, bother. That has been 
an immense amount of fun. We are the most chaotic group of adventurers. I think we drive Mike crazy. Just a little bit. We drive him a little bonkers. But that's okay, because the rest of us are having fun, so I hope Mike is too. (laughs) Uh, I loved Killer Frequency. I played that this year. I wrapped it up really recently. Did some great things narratively. You play as a DJ, essentially trying to save people from a serial killer, and it's got this incredible soundtrack. It's got a fantastic art, uh, fantastic art direction. Just a a really, really great game. I had a ton of fun playing that this year. The latest from, um, my goodness, Die Gute Fabrique, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, which is Salt Sea Chronicles. I'm still partway through it. I haven't finished it yet, but I've been very much enjoying the softness, the community, all of the excellent writing, the way the narrative unfolds. I've actually been learning a ton about more advanced narrative design um, more advanced narrative design by playing Salt Sea Chronicles so huge shout out to that incredible team obviously I really enjoyed Alan Wake Remastered Mm -hmm. it was great to go back I started playing that when it first came out because I was given a code for it and man I had a ton of fun and it was great to go back and finish it up and then play the DLCs and I'm so excited to play American Nightmare because I've never played it before so it's going to be super cool My favorite, favorite, favorite indie game of this year, my favorite indie game of this year was Venba. Venba was such an incredible experience for me as a Canadian that, you know, you know, one of my best friends growing up, she, her family was from India and a lot of those foods I remember eating as a little girl. And it was just, it was so nice to have that reawakened, um, but yeah, I played a lot of indie games this year, including Stray Gods, which mm-hmm. is the the first game to come out of Summerfall Studios. It was amazing. I have never played a video game that was built like a musical mm-hmm. and where you had to make decisions that would change the outcome of the game and change the outcome of the songs that you sing just by choosing your tone. It was just, honestly, again... It was artful narrative design. I loved the voice acting. I loved the singing. It was a star-studded cast. I wish that I would have gone out to see it live when it was in L.A. That would have been mm-hmm. amazing. But, uh, but yeah, I had a great time with that as well. And then wrapping it up with Destiny 2 because I'm back on that bullshit. I, it's Mike's fault. That's all I'm going to say. It's it Mike's is. fault. It is. Um, all right. Uh, I want to talk about tabletop real quick. We talked you, to some of them. You have more, like, I have so much overlap with you. The only one I have different is just my own, and it's because it's brand new. All right, you go first then. So, for me, like, the my one board game that you haven't played yet, yep. but we're going to play when we, we go on vacation soon, uh, was Flamecraft, mm-hmm. which was, like, the hotness, apparently, last year in the tabletop scene. And you get to play, it's a cozy game. And you you get to play as as a little as a little shopkeeper, and 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 it's where you get to bake breads, and you get to recruit other dragons to your cause. Mm. And our daughter Vivi, she loves her dragons, so this was actually her birthday present as we got Flamecraft for her. So she and I had a ton of fun playing it together. I'm so excited to sit down and play more of it when we head out on vacation tomorrow. Yep. 
All right, on my list, uh, Restoration Games Return to Dark Tower, which continues to have some of the best table presence of any mm. game I've ever played. Truly gorgeous. The uh, It's an app-enabled game. The tower spins. It makes noise. It's so cool. Uh, skulls pop out and, and ruin your day. And, it's and the just... application itself is really easy to, to yes. use. And it's I have nothing but good things to say about Return to Dark Tower. Even Gabe, who doesn't really like playing board games, loves Return to Dark Tower. Yeah. Um, Arkham Horror LCG, which is different than the Arkham Horror board game. It is a card game expression of it. Very strong narrative. Very, very, very strong narrative. Much better narrative than the board game. Oh, way better than the board game. And it's much more immersive than the board game. Because the board game, everything is just kind of left to chance. And you have to make very strategic, tactical decisions when you're playing the LCG. Because of, you know, building out your investigator deck and... Figuring out, you know, where am I going to go and how am I going to investigate and where do I want to spend my time? How do we play to each investigator's strengths? Exactly. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to investigate because, you know, this stat is better than yours and you're going to come over here and kill this monster because that stat is better than mine. And, you know, it's, we, we hadn't played it in a couple of years, I guess. I guess it'd been a year. Yeah. Because we normally play it when we go up to uh, Great Barrington and we, we didn't this year, I guess. When we went up in March. Oh, right, because I was writing the book. Yeah. We ended up playing the Star Wars deck building game, which actually which should was be on also, that list too because which it's is really fantastic. Fun. That is not a living card game or a collectible card game. It's two players right out of the box, 30 bucks, pick it up. Um, but yeah, we're going to play some more Arkham Horror this week. Uh, Netrunner, I'm very much back into. Uh, that game has kind of lived an afterlife with a community group called Null Signal continuing on the game, pr- yep. printing new cards, developing new cards, like really great stuff. And then uh, this one kind of surprised me how how great it is. The Dead by Daylight board game. It is super, super fun. Yeah. I, I have very much enjoyed it. And, like, it's accessible for people that don't normally play, you know, asymmetrical games. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's neat. So somebody plays as the, the killer. killer. Yeah. And <clears> then you have your survivors. And it plays out like a regular Dead by Daylight kind of game. Mm-hmm. But instead of it being real time... It's very, it's, it's based on turns. So you're going, you're taking your turns. I'm going to go move here. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to investigate here. And like, oh, I'm going to, oh God, now I disturbed this crow because I turned over the wrong token and now the killer knows where I am, you know, things like that. So it's cool. I I really liked it. I, I think that the developers did a, did a fantastic job. Yep. It's a good balance of theme and mechanics. Absolutely. All right. We finished with our little gifts to you, things that you could go out and play, enjoy, uh, that we loved this year. And now we are going to answer a few listener questions and wrap things up. So from Robin, what are some of your favorite moments from working with indies in the pre-funding stages that you can share with us? Oh, man. Um, for me, I, I, I obviously I'm not going to talk about individual projects because we want to you know, respect confidentiality. But what I'm going to say is this. The thing that I love the most is when people start a conversation and say, I don't know what I don't know, and I don't know what to ask, and we just go through their pitch deck. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they tell us... I feel so much better I feel now. better, I understand more, and then we, when people who we work with over a period of time, when we see the pitches improve, when we see their confidence improve, when we see um, them feel... Like, they understand the game they're making even more and start making design decisions based on us asking questions uh, and focusing on the SWAT, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats based on what we're seeing. And mm-hmm. that kind of back and forth, that continues to be one of my favorite things. 
And for me, it's, it's definitely, that is definitely a big piece of it. But the other piece really does come down to broadening access and making introductions where we can. Those tend to be my favorite moments. We don't do it for just anybody. We don't just, you know, randomly make connections. But we love opening doors. And we love making sure that folks that don't have our network, they don't have our connections, that they can get at those places, you know, when they're ready. So those are the things that I really like doing is making those connections and seeing seeing developers light up when it's like we're share we're not just sharing our knowledge, we're sharing something that's really tangible and that could vastly improve their chances or vastly improve their lives as developers is just giving them better access, more like I said, broadening their reach. Mm-hmm. And, and using all of the contacts that you and I have built up over our 15 years in games for good. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, moving on. So from Michael, where are we now compared to a year ago? Oh. What's materially different? What would you tell late 2022 Manda and Mike? Um, I'm, I, don't, I can't answer the last one because the things that I would tell me and Manda a year ago, uh, I can't say on this show. No. And yeah. it's not cursing or anything like that. It's just there are things that I would advise us to do differently or not do um, that I'm not really going to share here. But where are we now compared to a year ago and what's materially different? I, I think that as we've seen this year and as we've talked about on this show, this episode, the state of the industry, we knew, and I actually put this in, you'll see this in the trends piece, where I cite Manda. Uh, in Toronto, um, the Pocket Gamer Connect panel talking about get your deals in before 2020, end of 2022, because things are going to get real gnarly in 2023. I think those were my exact words. I think I definitely said gnarly. Yeah. And the fact that we're here and things are worse than we anticipated, worse than anybody could have anticipated. This is so, this is, this is the nightmare scenario, like turned up to 11. Yeah. And I think the the one thing that we didn't anticipate was the level of inflation that we were going to see, and the cost and the and the the interest rates jumping so high, which and increases so fast. and so fast, increasing the cost of debt. And something you will see in the in the trends piece that I'll talk a little bit about here, just for a moment. There is this I've seen this undercurrent of people thinking, well, you know, as AAA and AA lay off, we'll see this crop of indie studios. That's what happens every time. Except that, as we've talked about over the past few weeks, past few months, private equity, venture capital deals are way down. We're not going to see the same level of investment. No, so and the we're investment, actually, we're in a real bad spot, folks. And the investment that we are going to see are going to go to the same people that it always goes to. Yeah. It's going to go to straight white guys that have been in the industry for many years, that have proven track records that not only can they ship, but they can ship they can ship early and they can ship quality and for the most part they don't they don't care about crunch. Yeah. Um all right, we have two questions about Bungie uh, from Greg with Bungie's board apparently on the brink of a takeover by Sony due to failing targets. What do you think will change if Sony takes charge? I can handle this one. Uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and answer that, and then Andy Pan with the follow up to that. So what I know will change is the uh, remote working situation will be the first thing on the chopping. And block. that's unfortunate because Bungie has been so uh, forward thinking in its handling, very progressive, of, very progressive in its handling of remote work. 
And it's something that many other studios in AAA have looked to as a, if Bungie can do it, we can do it. Yep. And the ripple effect that that would have will be devastating to remote workers like me, right? Yep. I'm a remote worker. I have been working remotely since 2009. I don't plan on changing that anytime soon. That's okay if I maybe decided to go hybrid if something was in New York or if I had to fly somewhere, then fine. But for the most part, I'm I'm not looking to work in studio. I work really, really well remotely. So I think that that's going to be one of the big things that would change if Sony takes charge. I think that a lot of the flexibility that Bungie enjoys currently with regards to creative direction and the way in, the ways in which they're monetizing will change greatly. I think that if Sony took over, there would be there there would be some some further reaching ramifications. I think in terms of uh, Marathon potentially yeah. as well. And I don't want to manifest that because I just, I want all the developers at Bungie to have safe and healthy work environment. And I, I want good things for them always. I really do. We have lots of friends that work at Bungie and, you know, I, I just, it's terrifying yeah. to, to think that Sony would take over is it, it would, it would, it would damage, it would damage the, the culture at Bungie in a way that would be irrevocable. I, I think so, too. <clears throat> um, so the follow-up from Andy Pan, given that Bungie was acquired to provide live service expertise that SIE lacked, what um, what kind of changes does SIE think they can provide by taking over? It's not about creative changes. It's not about doing better at live services. It's about being able to make the most of their investment in Bungie, and that comes from an administrative and managerial perspective. They think that they can run the studio better then that would be the reason Yeah, that Bungie isn't able to, to govern itself as a studio and therefore Sony needs to step in as the parent company and fold it in with all of the other owned studios like Naughty Dog and Insomniac and Sony Santa Monica and run them the exact same way. Sony gets um, efficiencies. Mm-hmm. They get economies of scale from it. Um, and to me, uh, as you know, I just agree with Matt. I think it would, I think it would, irrevocably destroy the culture at Bungie and the layoff decisions that were made uh, as painful. And they believe me, they are painful um, and I'm not defending them to be very clear, but the decision that was made was made to try to s- keep Sony at arm's length and enable Bungie to keep the culture that it had and hopefully rebuild um, from the devastating layoffs that they had. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that wraps us up for this episode and the year. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Yes, we're still there uh, at Virtual EconCast. Um, we are not there much ourselves. Manda has dipped her toe back in the water. I'm back because, because... For job hunting purposes. Yep, I'm back because that is the network I... That is the social network that I spent 15 years on up until July of this year. So I'm back on it. It's just my first and last name, Amanda Farrow. Um... Better place to hang out with me is probably always going to be Instagram or Blue Sky. I'm Ritual Magic on both of those places, but that's with a W mm-hmm. in front of it, like like writing. So yeah. it's Ritual Magic. Virtual Economy is on Blue Sky, <laughs> also at virtualeconomy.bsky.social, and I'm on Blue Sky, although I don't post there much. Um, I just haven't found my my rhythm there. At Footerish, f u t t e r i s h. Bsky.social, and I'm at Footerish, also on Twitter. 
Um, we also post the show on LinkedIn on the F Squared account. And we repost it from our own account, so you can find it there. Mm -hmm. um, and there, you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. In addition to that, you can also listen to our podcast on basically every major podcasting platform, including but not limited to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Pocket Cast, and wait... Pocket sand! Ah, uh, pocket sand for the last time in 2023. Yep. Good riddance to this garbage year. You know what? If you enjoyed our analysis, our conversation, our witty, our witty rapport. Witty rapport. We would love it if you would subscribe and if possible on your platform of choice, review the show. Let us know what you think. We, um, love, we love receiving little love letters. Yep, and listener questions. You can DM yes. us with question, questions at the Virtual Econ Cast account on Twitter. Uh, you can send them to us via email at podcast at fsquared.biz. You can also join our Discord community, which I absolutely love. We love, love, love our community. Uh, and uh, we and it's some, growing all yeah, the time. And we have Slowly. Some, we have great people in there and, and honestly, um, a source of most of our listener questions. Absolutely. And that's it. For this garbage year of 2023, and as we head into 2024, we are wishing all of you a safe, happy, and healthy new year. We are praying that the, that the tides are going to change in 2024 and that we are beautifully surprised. Mm -hmm. But if we're not, we're always going to be here anyway. We're going to be reporting on the news, providing our analysis, and doing what we do. So in the meantime... Remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We will see you in 2024. Happy New Year.